Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. But I'll tell you what, it is so good to be here. It is, if you have not been with us over the last few weeks, we are in a series right now called Samson and the Power of. And we're looking at Samson and the Power of because Samson was a very powerful man who was called to live a very powerful life. But one thing that we've found all the way throughout Samson's life was that Samson was a very strong man but he had a very weak will. He was a very strong man, but he had a very weak will. And it was because of this that Samson did not see the call of God come alive on his life like God intended it to. And so the last few weeks, we've been looking at a few different aspects of Samson's life. In the first week, we looked at Samson and the power of potential. And we looked at the fact that Samson had more potential on his life than practically anybody else in history up to this moment. But just because Samson had a call of God on his life, just because Samson had anointing, just because Samson had the strength that God gave gave him, just because Samson had potential, potential was never enough to take Samson from where he was to where God had called and created him to be. Now, last week we looked at the, uh, Samson and the power of compromise and we looked at the fact that, that for, for a whole range of reasons, Samson chose to live of compromise and, and it was Samson's life, it was this life that was full of these small compromises, these compromises in the gray areas of life that paved the way for Samson to compromise in the black and white areas of life and, and it ended up causing him destruction, it ended up ending his life. But today I wanna have a look at Judges chapter 13. If you've got your Bibles or you've got your your Bible apps with you, you can turn over to Judges chapter 13. And in this chapter, we read about Samson's call on his life. We read about the first time that, that Samson was called. We read before he was even born, an angel appeared to Samson's mother. And this is what the angel said said, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And this is key to what we're looking at today. Because if you're looking at that, if you paid attention, God never said that Samson would lead the Philistines out. That's not what it says. It doesn't say that he would deliver the hand, sorry, deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. It says he will, sorry, it says he will lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. It doesn't say he will deliver them. It says he will take the lead. And this is what we're looking at today because for Samson, he had a very clear call of God on his life. He was the one to, to, to lead the way in delivering the Philistines. But he was called to lead. He wasn't called to do it on his own. And this is interesting because it doesn't matter how big the call of God was on Samson's life. It doesn't matter how much potential God gave him. It doesn't matter how much anointing he had. Samson was never called to do it alone. As great as the call of God on his life was, this was something that Samson would never be able to achieve on his own. That's why the angel of the Lord had never said that Samson is gonna deliver Israel. It said he will take the lead. The only, the only sad thing was that Samson chose not to hang out with his people. Samson chose not to surround himself with great men. Samson chose to go through life in isolation. But you know what, in Ecclesiastes chapter four, it says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Listen, it wasn't Samson's weak will that ultimately led to his downfall. He did have a weak will, there's no doubt about that, but it wasn't the weak will that led to the downfall, it was the fact that Samson had nobody to help him up when he stumbled. 
It was the fact that Samson had no one in his world who would hold him accountable to the call of God on his life. See, in Proverbs chapter 24, it says, for the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. It wasn't the fact that Samson fell. It was the fact that he did not have anyone there to help him up when he did. See, in Genesis 2 verse 18, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Proverbs 18 verse one, it says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment, but for whatever reason, Sam chose, Samson chose to go through, through life isolated. So he was meant to be leading the Israelites. He was meant to be the one leading the charge, but very rarely do we even read of him spending time with them. Now, there was a portion of his life where he did well in this area, but for the vast majority, Samson was not even spending time with the people he was meant to be delivering. This is what I wanna look at today. Today, for taking notes, the title of today's message, we're looking at Samson and the power of relationships. Samson and the power of relationships, because it is really interesting. We never read about Samson's friends. All throughout his life, we don't read about Samson's friends. We read about people that he spent time with, and we read about some people that kind of came in and out of his life, and we read about a whole bunch of people that he fought against, but we never really read about Samson's friends. In fact, even when Samson got married, we read that there was no one to stand with him. He didn't have a best man. He didn't have groomsmen. In fact, when he did go to get married in Judges chapter 14, it says, when the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. He had no one to stand with him. He had no friends. He had no friends to stand with him in the good times. And he had no friends that were there to stand with him in the hard times. And so whenever Samson made a bad decision, whenever Samson started going down a path that he shouldn't have, there was nobody in his world who was going to help him make the right decisions. And for Samson, this ended up determining his entire life. Because he had no one to keep him on track, because he had no one to hold him accountable, because he had nobody to help him to continually chase after God's call, he chased after whatever looked good in his world. See Ecclesiastes 4.12, it says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to, get, back, to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You know, Samson had a tremendous call on his life, but he was never called to do it alone. And you know what the reality is for us today? It is the exact same thing. God has a call on every single one of our lives. We know that. All throughout the Bible, God makes it very clear that no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been a part of, God has a clear plan and purpose for your life. He has a call for you. But just because you've got a call on your life, it does not mean that we can do it alone. And it's not just that we're not meant to do it alone. You need to understand that you were never created to do it alone. It's not that it's just not the best way of doing it. It's the fact that it is not possible for you to see God's call come alive in your life without other great people in your world. You see in Genesis 1:27 it says God created mankind in his own image and that means that we are created for community. The only way that we are ever going to see God's call outworked in our lives is within the context 
of community. We look at Samson, he didn't have that. And because of that, he never saw God's best come about. And in the end, he was so far from God's call that we read in the final moments of his life when he turned back to God, we read that he did more in the final moments of his life than he did the whole rest of his life. He was meant to deliver a whole nation from Israel, but the biggest thing he ever did was kill 3,000 of them in one hit. Man, Samson was so far from what God had called him to. And it was because he was not living his life in the context of community. It's interesting because we look at Samson and we can see that this is so obvious, but you know, we look all throughout the Bible and we see this to be true. We look at all of the Bible greats. We look at all of the heroes of the faith and it doesn't matter who they were. No one could see God's call come about on their lives when they tried to do it on their own. You know, if we look at 2 Samuel chapter 21, we read about King David. And this is the King David. I mean, this is the guy who, before he was ever a soldier, before he ever enlisted in the army, while he was still just a young shepherd looking after sheep, he still went out and killed Goliath. When no other soldier would step up to the plate, when no one else would take on Goliath, this little soldier called David did. In 1 Samuel 18 verse 7, this is what the result of it was. It says, the women sang to one another and they celebrated. Saul had struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Let me tell you, David was, became very quickly known for his skill on the battlefield. David went on and he became the king of Israel and he was virtually undefeatable in battle. You know, it's really interesting if we have a look at 2 Samuel chapter 21, where we read of a time where as great as, God, as David was and as gifted as David was and much, as much as an anointing he had on his life as he did, he still could not do it on his own. It says, once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines and he became exhausted. And Ishbibinob, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said that he would kill David. If you don't know this guy, man, Ishbibinob, he meant this. This was Goliath's brother. And so this wasn't just some big giant that wanted to kill someone. This was Ishbibinob's chance to get back at the guy who had killed his own family. It says, but Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. So it says that for David, he became exhausted. And Ishbibinob said that he would kill him. He saw David exhausted. He saw that David couldn't go on and he went to take him out. But David had Abishai. David had somebody there who came in and made up for his weakness and his lack. And we look at David and we think, man, this is one of the old time Old Testament greats. This is a guy who got remembered as being a man after God's own heart. This guy's a true hero of the faith. But even he could not do it alone. And if we skip over and have a look at the book of Exodus, we look at Moses. And it's interesting because for Moses, man, he had a, such a clear call on his life. God called him to, to save Israel out of the, uh, to, to take Israel out into the promised land. We, and we read that as he did that, they faced trial after trial after trial, but every time they ran into problem, every time something went wrong, every time we read that God came through. But in Exodus chapter 17, this is what it says. It says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered and Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up. 
one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Moses was called to lead the people into the promised land. And man, they won battle after battle after battle. But there came a point in time where Moses could not do it alone. He needed Aaron and he needed her. And in his, moment, in his life, he had a moment of weakness where he grew tired, he couldn't go on, but he had people around him who would, who would raise his hands up. And because of that, because he had great people in his life, the battle was won and the Israelites overcame the enemy. Hey, even the Bible greats couldn't do it on their own. You know what, I think that in our day and age and in our world today, we try so hard to make it on our own. We want everyone to know that, man, I'm a self-made man. I don't need anyone else. I'm independent. I can do it. But let me tell you, the call of God, it was never meant to be something that you can do on your own. Hey, there are some things that you can do on your own. There's no doubt about it. Hey, you might be able to get a promotion on your own. You might be able to get straight A's on your own. You might be able to pay your house off on, the, on your own. But let me tell you, you will never fulfill the call of God all by yourself. That only happens in the context of community. You know, I remember when I started following Jesus, I was, I was 15 years old when I started following Jesus. I was halfway through being 15 years old. And I, I remember this because I used to argue with this guy that was trying to lead me to Jesus. And I knew that eventually he was gonna win me over to Christ. And so I tried to negotiate with him. I said, listen, man, I'm, I'm about to turn 16 years old. In Australia, you're allowed to legally drink alcohol at 16 years old. It was 1999. So at the end of the year, it was gonna be the party coming into the year 2000. It was gonna be a big one. And I remember trying to negotiate. Hey, I'll follow Jesus. But just let me have one more party. Let me have this big one, man. It's the year 2000. It's gonna be huge. I can't get in trouble for what I'm gonna do because it's gonna be legal. You, you let me ride out to this new year and I'll follow Jesus. I mean, this was my way of thinking as a young 15-year-old kid. And I lost the battle. He got me before, before I turned 16. And I tell you what, I thank him for it. But I remember I was 15 years old. I gave my life to Jesus. And I knew that for me, the people that I was hanging around, the people that I was spending time with really were determining my life. And so I made the choice to start hanging around some good people. I knew that if I was gonna keep following Jesus, I, I needed people in my life who would help me to keep following Jesus. You know, in Proverbs 11, uh, 13, verse 20, it says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. And at that point in time, I was a companion of fools. I wasn't just a companion of fools, I was a fool. I mean, we were this big posse of fools that just went around. And because of it, like this verse says, like Proverbs 13, verse, tw verse 20 says, we were suffering harm because of it. I remember in my teenage years waking up and I'd be just covered in cuts and bruises from nights before that we couldn't remember. I remember getting beat up by the police for being an idiot and doing silly things. I remember doing, th our friends would, we'd go out to these parties and we'd try to do things with girls. And it, I tell you what, we were living these lives that were nothing but destructive and they were causing harm. But that's exactly what Proverbs said would happen. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I went into my teenage years living this destructive lifestyle. And then I started following Jesus. And I knew that if I was gonna be able to escape this lifestyle, if I was gonna stay following Jesus and not turn back to it, I needed to, to surround myself with some great people who would help me stay on track. 
You see, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, it says, do not be misled. It says, bad company corrupts good character. So for me, at a young age, I chose my friends wisely. I chose to spend time with a guy called Robbie, who was one of those guys who you never really knew if he was saved or not. You know what I mean? Like he could have gone either way. There was a kind of guy where I think he would have got to heaven and Jesus would have made sure that no one was looking. Like, oh, Robbie, come on, man, get in here, dude. Just get in here. You know, I don't know if that's theologically accurate, what I said just then. But that was what Robbie was like. I mean, this dude was really loose. But I tell you, he was further along the journey than I was. And so I hung out with Robbie. I hung out with another guy called Jono. He was in my small group. still one of my best friends to this day. I met him in small group. And he used to skateboard and I used to skateboard. And so we hung out and he'd been following Jesus for a while. And so I got to spend time with Jono and he would take me forward. And when I went to make dumb decisions, he'd, he'd tell me not to and he'd tell me why I shouldn't. But I knew that if I was gonna keep following Jesus, I had to spend time with people who would help me keep following Jesus. You know, this is one of the things that I love about this church. I love that that this church is a church of small groups. I love that there's such a large focus that's placed on surrounding ourselves with great people. I love that Res Life isn't a church where you just turn up to a service on a Wednesday night or a weekend service, then you go home and you try to have to try and do life all by yourself. I love that this is a church where you come to church and you meet your friends and you see your church family and you don't just walk out these doors alone, but we walk out and we take on this world together. You know what I love about this church? I love that this church is a church that doesn't just link together the older generation. I love seeing people my age and people older than me make connections and and really build each other up spiritually and that. But you know what I absolutely love seeing and I love that this happens is that we see young children doing this. Man, I love that when we drive back out to Grand Haven at the end of a Wednesday night, I've got kids who talk about their friends that they made in class. They talk about what they learned together. They talk about what they did together. I love that our kids get to study the Word together and worship together. I love that this is a church that places a focus on the next generation. I love it. You know what it says in Judges chapter 2, verse 10? It says, All the generations also were gathered to their fathers, All of that generation were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done. Hey, let's never let anyone say that of our generations. Let's never be a generation that tries to make church so relevant for our generation that we make it irrelevant for the next. Let's be a church that lives so much larger than just ourselves. Let's be a church that continues to live, not just for our generation, but paving the way for the generations to come. I love this church. That was a little bit of a side note, but I love this church. (laughs) You know, when I was younger, I chose my friends wisely. When I started following Jesus, I made sure that I had people in my life who would help me keep following Jesus. You know, if you're in that stage of life right now, and maybe you've recently decided to follow Jesus. You've asked God in your life and you're doing life with Jesus and and you're new to this whole thing. Hey, let me tell you, you need to make sure that you are surrounding yourself with people who are gonna help you keep following Jesus. You need to surround yourself with great people. If you don't know anyone, you know, we're gonna talk about how to do that in just a moment. But if that's where you're at, you need to make sure that you are. But you know, for me, I remember not long after I started following Jesus, I was about 16 years old, about a year had passed since I started following Jesus. I felt like, 
God was calling me to ministry, specifically youth ministry. I wanted to be a youth pastor one day. And so for me, I, I went from having friends who would just help me keep following Jesus to finding friends who would help me chase after the call of God on my life. And I remember I, I, I kept hanging out with Jono. I kept hanging out with Jono because he was still further along than me. And he'd speak into my life. I hang out, hung out with a guy called Coves. He was a few years older than me. He was one of the leaders in the youth ministry. And man, this guy loved Jesus. He was chasing after him. So I got around him. I spent as much time as I could with my small group leader called Nick. This was a guy who believed in me more than absolutely anybody else I knew. And so I hung out with him as much as I could. I kept in his world and I made sure that he stayed in mine. But you know what, right now I'm in another stage of life. And the reason I'm talking about these stages of life is because we all find ourselves in different stages of life. As some of us, we are just new to Jesus and we're following Jesus. Others of us, man, we may have been saved for quite a while and maybe we're not called to ministry. Maybe we're called to the business world or to the sports world or maybe we're called to be a stay-at-home parent, but whatever it is, we're in these stages of life and we need to make sure that we are surrounding ourselves with people who are in a similar stage of life to us who are gonna continue to encourage us to, the, to chase after God's call on our lives. So for me now, I lead a church with my wife out in Grand Haven called Life Church. And so I surround myself with people who are in a similar stage of life than me or people who are in a, going down a similar path who can speak in to my life. That's why I hang out so much with Sam Vanderklok down the front here. Man, he's a guy who loves people, loves building the church. He's a man of integrity. He's gotta be one of the bluntest, most in-your-face people you will ever meet. I mean, you try making a bad decision around Sam. You will not do that again because he will call you out right away. <laughs> You know, I hang out as much as I can with my father-in-law, Pastor Dwayne. Because he's a guy, you know what, he leads the church obviously as well. He's a lot further down the journey than I am. And he's reached more people with the message of Jesus than almost anybody else I know. And so I stay connected to him. I keep him in my world. I hang out with a guy called Joe who leads a church in East Grand Rapids. You know, he leads a church is quite different than the church that I lead, but he's so creative and he's so inspirational because you go out for coffee with Joe and he starts talking about how he's trying to reach the people in Grand Rapids for the cause of Christ. And he just comes up with these insane, crazy ideas. He talks about how they, they just go and rent vans and drive around and get projectors and go to random communities and, and throw movies up and just start telling people about Jesus when the movie's done. I mean, who does that? This guy does. So I hang around him and I get inspired and I learn how to chase after God's call on my life by looking at what God's doing in him and we share our stories and talk about what we're doing and we both encourage one another. But listen, Proverbs 12, verse 26, it says, the righteous choose their friends carefully. It says, the way of the wicked leads them astray. Let me tell you, your friends, the people that you surround yourself with, they will lead you somewhere. The people that you surround yourself with will determine the life that you live. We need to make sure that we are surrounding ourselves with great people. And at this point in your life, maybe it is someone who will just help you keep following Jesus. Maybe you're past that and you're gonna get people in your world who are gonna keep encouraging you to chase after the call of God on your life. Maybe they are people who are further down the track who are gonna see you making decisions that you shouldn't and they're gonna hold you accountable and call you out and get in your face and they're gonna keep you on track for God. Hey, you know what, if we look in the Old Testament, we're gonna finish up in just a moment's time. If we look in the New Testament, the, the book of Acts, we read about the early church. And man, at this point in time, 
the early church was just blowing up, man. Like the early church is just growing and growing and growing. People are hearing about Jesus. The gospel is being spread. And man, like the whole world is just getting rocked by the church. It's so cool, but it was mostly on account of these two guys, two guys called Paul and Barnabas. And it's interesting because I'm sure there are a lot of people in here who know who Paul was. Paul started out as Saul, who was, was really big in the religious world, and he was sold out to destroying the church. He'd go around and arrest and take away and imprison and torture the early Christians. He'd stand there and watch when they were martyred. So this was a bad dude, but then he met Jesus. Life got radically changed. And he goes from being destroyer, a destroyer of the church to a builder of the church. But it's really funny because Paul gets, Saul, Saul gets saved and becomes Paul, right? He meets Jesus, encounters Jesus, gets radically saved. And then he goes to the Christians and he says, basically, hey guys, hey, my bad, my bad, I got it wrong. Hey, let, let, let's join team church and, and change the world. And the Christians wanted nothing to do with him. I mean, they looked at this guy and they said, hey man, we know who you are. You're trying to infiltrate the ranks here. We know that you just want to arrest us and kill us and, and hurt us. So no, you can't be a part of team church. You go back to your side. We're gonna do our thing. We're gonna avoid you and you're gonna try and catch us, but we're gonna keep building the church without you. This is what happened. And it's funny on this side of the story because we know who Paul was, but for, for the early church, this was scary times. I mean, he's right in their world now, but Barnabas stood by him. Barnabas knew he heard from God that Saul had become Paul. He wasn't gonna destroy the church. Man, Paul was gonna build the church. And so Barnabas stood by him and we read about Paul and Barnabas and they go around and they are just rocking the world for Jesus. But there became a point in time when Barnabas made a bad choice with his relationships. And it's interesting because up until this point, Paul and Barnabas were rocking it for Jesus. After this moment, all throughout the book of Acts, we never hear of this guy again. This is what it says in Acts chapter 15. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached and the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and, not, and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So they had a decision to make. Who was gonna come on this journey? Barnabas wanted to take this guy called Mark, who in the past, times had got tough. If you've read the book of Acts, you know that it wasn't a breeze building the early church. There was always persecution. There was always trials. There was always struggles. And when they came about, Mark bailed on them. When it got tough, Mark left so that he deserted them and he did not continue in the work. And so Paul, he knew that to build the church, man, you need some perseverance, you need some strength. And he saw that Mark didn't have it. He had shown that he didn't. And so when Barnabas wanted to surround himself with someone like Mark, Paul said no. Said, hey, if we're gonna keep doing this, if we're gonna keep chasing after the call of God on our lives, if we're gonna keep building the church and reaching people with the message of Jesus, we can't do it with Mark because he bails when times get tough. And they had this huge disagreement, such a sharp disagreement that the two guys who had done so much for the kingdom so far parted ways. 
And from this moment on, we never read of Barnabas again. And it's interesting because you know what? We need to make sure that we're looking at the people in our world. Are the people in our world taking us closer to the call of God in our lives? Or are the people in our world taking us further away from the call of God on our lives? Because let me tell you, the people that you surround yourself with will determine the life that you live. The call that God has on your life was never meant to be something that you can do by yourself. If you are gonna see God's call come about on your life, let me tell you, you need to surround yourself with great people. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Once again, Proverbs 13, verse 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And Proverbs 27, verse 17, so there's iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Hey, this is a choice that we all need to make. This is a choice that we need to make to purposefully surround ourselves with people who are gonna take us closer to the call of God on our lives. And if you do not know how to do that, if maybe you're sitting here in church and you say, man, this sounds so good. I want great people in my life. I wanna walk with the wise. I wanna get sharpened, of course. Who doesn't want this? But I just don't know how to do it. Let me tell you, you need to get in a small group. You need to get in a small group. You can get info. You can chat to Sam. You can get info on the, in the foyers. You can talk to the prayer team down here after service. You need to make sure that you are getting in a small group. Small groups, man, what happens in a small group? You get together. We meet in houses all around the area. So people in a similar stage of life than you going through similar things. We get around each other. We have food. We have fun. We hold each other accountable to the decisions that we make. We encourage and inspire one another to keep chasing after God and His call on our lives. Hey, in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. In 1 Corinthians 12, 14, it says the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. And listen, if we're going to be effective in our world for Jesus, we need to be in this together. We need to be in it together. We need to be surrounded by great people. We're encouraging one another inspiring one another, making sure that each and every one of us is consistently and continually chasing after God's call on our lives. Hey, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, the people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. In Proverbs 24, verse six, it says, by wise guidance, you can wage your war. And in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Hey, the relationships that you have will determine the life that you live. And let me tell you, there is one relationship of all, the most important relationship that you can ever have in your life that will be the number one determining factor of whether you will see God's best and God's call come about in your life and that is having a relationship with Jesus. And you know what, if you are here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you do not have God in your world, like I said earlier, you need to understand that there is absolutely nothing that can stop you from having that. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter what you've been a part of. It doesn't matter what you have done. When Jesus came to our world all those years ago, when He lived a perfect life, when He died on a cross and He rose again, He took care of absolutely anything that could stop you from having Him in your life today. And if you're here and you do not have Jesus in your life, if you don't know Him for yourself, I would love to give you an opportunity to change that. If you could close your eyes for a moment, if you could bow your heads, 
I just wanna give people in here some privacy because I wanna ask you where you're at with God tonight. Because maybe you are here and you know that God isn't in your life. You know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you never even knew it was possible. Hey, you need to know that it is. And tonight, you can make a decision that will literally change your life forever. That's inviting God into our world, inviting God into our lives. Or maybe you are here and you know that at one point in time, you did have a relationship with Jesus. You know that at one point in time, your relationship with Jesus was exactly where it was meant to be. But you know that right now, for whatever reason, whatever reason is it, it actually doesn't matter. It's just the fact that your relationship with Jesus is not what it is meant to be. If that's you and tonight, you wanna say, yeah, I wanna pick that relationship back up again. Maybe I got busy. Maybe I got distracted. Maybe I got offended. Maybe I got hurt. Maybe I just walked away for whatever reason. If that's you and tonight, you wanna pick that relationship back up again. I wanna pray for you as well. So what I'm gonna do in just a moment, if that's you, you wanna start a relationship with Jesus for the very first time, or you wanna pick that relationship back up again. In just a moment, I'm gonna count to three. I'm gonna count to three. And if that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up in the air, just high enough, long enough so that I can see it. I'll acknowledge you, you can put it straight back down. I just wanna know who to include in a prayer in just a moment's time. So if that's you, you're here tonight, you wanna start a relationship with Jesus Christ for the very first time, or you wanna pick that relationship back up again on the count of three. If that's you, just slip your hand up in the air. One, two, three. If that's you tonight, yeah, cool. I see that hand up here in the middle. That's great if there's anyone else. Yep, hand over here on the side, up the back there, that's cool. If there's anyone else, you wanna say, yeah, I want Jesus in my life, or I want Jesus back in my life. If there's anyone else, just slip your hand up in the air. I would love to include you in this prayer in just a moment. If there's anyone else. All right, go ahead while everyone's eyes are closed and while everyone's heads are still bowed. Like I said, I wanna, I wanna say a prayer. I'm, I'm gonna say a prayer. It's a prayer inviting God into our lives and I would love it. If as a whole church family, we would pray this prayer together, but especially, especially those of you who just raised your hands just then. So church, repeat after me. Dear God, I thank you that you love me so much that you would send your only son to die for me. I thank you that from this moment, I'm forgiven, I'm set free, I'm washed clean. And tonight, God, I invite you into my life. And I thank you that from here on out, we're doing life together. Amen. For more information about ResLife, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about ResLife or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.